There are so many people in our lives who need to know in a personal way that God loves them and that God will be with them through the difficult days of life as well as the good times in life. And God wants to use you to influence someone else with the love of Christ. And this month, we're talking about how God has blessed us with his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. But he blessed us, not just for us, but so that we could be a blessing to others by connecting them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've found an acrostic that helps us think about sharing our faith in Jesus in a new way. And it's the acrostic BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. And this month, we're unpacking that acrostic. If you recall, the first week we discussed the letter B and how it reminds us that if we want to be a positive influence in someone else's life and see them come to faith in Christ, we ought to begin with prayer. So B, begin with prayer. Pray for the people that are in your life, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Pray for God to show how he is at work in their life. And pray for God to give you opportunities to build relationships with them and to share the good news of Jesus. L in the acrostic reminds us that we should also listen with care. Listen for how God is at work in a person's life. Listen for their hopes and their dreams. Listen to their struggles and their fears. Listen for those pain points that they are struggling with in their life. Because as you listen with care, you'll get to know them better. And you'll be able to help them see how that Jesus Christ is even there, whatever they're going through. So begin with prayer, listen with care, and then E reminds us, and we're going to talk about this today, that we should eat together. That means we ought to, I love this one, that means we ought to hang out with people. We ought to build relationships with people. We ought to spend time with people, getting to know each other. Then the first S in the acrostic bless reminds us to serve with love. That whenever we see a need in that person's life, that we can serve them by meeting that need, and we do it out of love. Because we love God and we love them. And then the final S reminds us to share our story. That when God gives us the opportunity, when we've built a relationship, when we've gained that moment of trust and permission, we can share our story just like Russell shared his story of how Jesus Christ is changing our lives and loves them as well. And God's going to give you that opportunity. But today I want to talk to you about the, the E in that acrostic, eat together. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that when we get to build relationships with people, we ought to want to know them better. This shouldn't be a program where we get a, a notch in our belt because we got one more convert and we don't really care about the people that we're seeking to introduce to Jesus. People see through that. People know when they're being used what we want to do is truly build relationships with people. And in order to do that, you need to spend time with people. You need to hang out with folks. You can't do this in a hurry. You need to be a friend and get to know someone. You need to show hospitality to people. In fact, that's what Jesus did. Andy Stanley, pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, in Alpharetta, made a statement that I love. He said, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he liked them back. Whenever you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll see that people who were nothing like him, there he is, the spotless, sinless son of God, God in flesh. And yet so 
many people who were nothing like Jesus were actually attracted to him, and they liked him, and they wanted to follow him and be with him and see what he would do next and hear the next message that he would teach. People who were nothing like Jesus liked him. And the amazing thing is he liked them back. It didn't matter if it was a woman caught in the act of adultery. It didn't matter if it was a woman who had already had five failed marriages and the man she was living with was not her husband. It didn't matter if it was a well-known tax collector who was a cheat. He would cheat people out of their hard-earned money. It didn't matter if it was the down and out that all the religious people rejected. These people liked Jesus and he liked them. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to like people like Jesus liked people. This isn't about using people, manipulating people. This is about truly showing the love of Christ to the people in our lives because we truly love God and we love them. And even if they don't look like us or they don't vote like us or they don't have the same lifestyle that we have or they didn't come from the same country we've come from or whatever those differences, people need to know that we care about them and we love them for who they are. And yet, sadly, there are people in our world who question whether God could really love them. They question, could God love me? I, they, they'll admit to you, I know I'm nothing like Jesus. I know I've got hang-ups and I've got stuff that's messed up in my life and I don't always think like I should. I don't always talk like I ought to. I don't always treat other people like I should. I know I've got some habits in my life that are not helpful. In fact, they're, they're hurtful. And I know I'm not like Jesus. Could Jesus like somebody like me? And dear friend, today I hope as we open up our copy of God's Word to the passage we're going to study, that you leave this place today knowing no matter who you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much regret you have in your past, no matter how much you feel like you fail in God's standards God loves you, and he sent Jesus Christ into this world to prove how much God loves you. Jesus not only likes you, he loves you. As one pastor said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. I mean, that's how much he loves you. Now, God doesn't always love the things we do. He doesn't always love the attitudes of our hearts or the actions of our lives. But you, he loves and he's proven his love by sending Jesus. And Jesus fleshed out his love for each one of us in his life and in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. So today, maybe you're questioning, could God like me? He not only likes you, Jesus loves you. But can I say something to the rest of us who are already followers of Jesus? Those of us who call this our church home. We need to be a church that is known for liking people like Jesus likes people. We need to be known as a church that truly cares for people. Regardless of their differences, regardless of their background, regardless of what their past is, that we will love the people in this community like Jesus does. It was um, one pastor, John Allen Turner, who said, it is hard to convince people that a God they can't see loves them when a church they can see doesn't seem to like them. And so often I'm afraid that whenever people encounter church people, they come away with the wrong impression. They come away with the impression we don't really care for them. 
We treat the world like the world is our enemy. We treat people who are different than us like they must be destroyed and they must be put in their place. I'm already sick of this election season, I don't mind telling you, because of the nastiness that I see on social media. No longer can we just disagree and agree to disagree. Now I must destroy you. You are the scum of the earth. You are the lowest of the low. I don't know how you can think like that. I don't know how you can look yourself in the mirror. It's that kind of stuff. And you know what's really heartbreaking? Is sometimes those kind of attitudes are being promulgated by church people. And the very people that Jesus came to reach with the gospel, his love, are being repelled. Because they think that the church doesn't even like them. So how can God, who I don't see, love me if that church I can see doesn't even seem to like me? And there again, we don't always have to like what people do or like how people live. But when it comes down to another human being, they are a person created in the image of God and they are worthy of dignity and respect. And we should be known as a people who are like Jesus, and who like people like Jesus liked people. Don't make me say that again. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> I want to take you to the Gospel of Matthew, because some of you are going, I don't know if I agree with this. Well, hang on, and, and don't take my word for it. Let's just go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, uh, and let's look at verse 9 through uh, verse 13. And I want to talk to you about how Jesus called someone named Matthew Levi, to be one of his followers. Matthew becomes one of the first of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He's in that first group that Jesus calls. Come and be my follower. And to be honest with you, if you know anything about Matthew Levi, it was a scandal that Jesus would call somebody with his past, with his occupation, with his reputation to be in a close, intimate relationship with Jesus as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. And yet Matthew discovered, Jesus likes me. And Jesus wants to be with me and for me to be with him and hang out with him. And then Matthew wants to be like Jesus. So Matthew makes up his mind that he wants to invite other people in his life to come and meet this Jesus who has accepted him in love, who has changed his life. So in Matthew chapter 9, we're in the book of Matthew, written by Matthew, and Matthew's telling us how it all began for him when Jesus called him to be one of his followers. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Jesus is ministering near his hometown in the area of Capernaum at the Sea of Galilee. And as he is passing through, he comes to this section in the road where there is a tax booth set up. In that day, the Roman Empire had conquered the whole known world, and Rome exercised taxes and levied taxes on pretty much everything in life. Nothing's changed, by the way. And what Rome would do is on these major thoroughfares, like this road leading from Syria to Egypt, they would set up a tax booth. And you're going to have to pay import taxes and export taxes. You're going to have to pay taxes on what you buy and taxes on what you sell. They even had taxes on carts. 
depending on how many wheels your cart had and how heavy your cart was, you would have to pay a certain amount of taxes. They were very good at taxing and regulating the people. And the way it worked was it was like a tax farm system. Rome would find a local citizen of that community and they would hire that person to work for the government and to collect taxes. And they would say, in this region, for your franchise, we expect this much from tax revenue from you. And we expect you to send it to Rome. Whatever you collect over the quota is your salary. You get to keep the rest. And that system, while maybe efficient for Rome, lent itself to all kinds of scandal because tax collectors often defrauded people by charging them more taxes than what they really owed. And many of these tax collectors became very wealthy at the expense of their people. And so think about this. Matthew is a Jew working for the occupying government of Rome. And as a result of that, his fellow Jews considered him unpatriotic. How could you work for the enemy? And they detested people like Matthew Levi. They also considered Matthew Levi unscrupulous because of all the ways tax collectors could cheat people and defraud them and take their hard-earned money. And they considered them ceremonially, spiritually unclean because these Jewish people had such close contact with Gentiles and with Romans. And so often they would be barred from the worship of the temple because they were considered ceremonially unclean, unworthy to come to church, unworthy to be with the righteous people, the dignified people. So there Jesus is on his way through Capernaum and he sees Matthew Levi and he stops and he says to him, follow me. Matthew Levi knew exactly what Jesus was doing when he said, follow me. Jesus, as a teacher, as the rabbi, was saying, I choose you to be one of my disciples. I want to connect your life with my life. I want you to be associated with me. I want you to walk with me, live with me, listen to me, learn from me. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. I want to take you from what you've been doing and give you a new purpose in life. I want you to follow me. Let me change you from the inside out. And Matthew says, I'm in. And he leaves everything and he follows Jesus. He commits his life to Jesus. It's an amazing thing that has been dulled by 2,000 plus years of, of familiarity. That Jesus would choose someone like Matthew Levi to be his disciple. Because Jesus evidently had room in his kingdom for disreputable people. That even the low and the down and out and the disreputable people of Jesus' day were not off limits to Jesus. Jesus loved them, liked them wanted them to be with him, and Jesus called him to himself. And Matthew Levi responded by following. By the way, Jesus still has room in his kingdom for disreputable people. And all of us said, Amen. because if he didn't have room, you wouldn't have made it in. 
If he didn't have room for people who've got a past, if he didn't have room in his kingdom for people who've had some hang-ups, if he didn't have room in his kingdom for people who've messed up and who've made mistakes, I would never have been called by God's grace to be a follower of Jesus, and neither would you. Jesus loves you, and he knows all about your past. He knows all those things that only you and God know, and he still loves you. And he still has a plan and a purpose for your life. Aren't you grateful that day, whenever it was? Maybe you were young, maybe you were an adult. Maybe it was a long time ago, or maybe it was very recently. Maybe it was in a church service, or maybe it was just you alone somewhere with an open Bible. And you heard Jesus calling you. Just trust me. Come to me. Give your life to me. I know you've got hang-ups. I know you've got questions. I know you've got a lot of problems in your life. I know you can't be perfect from this day forward, but I still like you. I love you. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. Come. Come. Just follow me. And you came, as the old hymn says, just as I am. You came. And he accepted you just as you are. Now, he loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to work in your life and transform you from the inside out. But it all begins with Jesus saying, follow me. And he still issues that call to everyone. Everyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the call of Jesus Christ is either for all people or it's for no people. And it's for all people. But when you've experienced the love and grace of Jesus, like Matthew, you want other people to experience the love and grace of Jesus too. Look at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, you say, whoa, how did we get here? First, we're on a, on a city street at a tax booth, and Jesus is calling Matthew. The very next verse, we're in a house. How did this happen? Because Matthew is getting to the point. He's cutting... He's cutting to the chase. He's skipping over all the other stuff. That And then we left, and then we stopped at the store, and, and then I said, Jesus, why don't you come to my house? He cuts to the chase. Matthew, Levi, invites Jesus to his home. We learned this from the Gospels of Mark and Luke, who also talk about the conversion of Matthew. And they call him Levi, by the way. That's why I call him Matthew Levi. It's the same guy with two names. And so... Matthew says, Jesus, you got to come to my house. I want to throw a party in your honor. You're going to be the guest of honor, and, and I want to invite my friends over. I want other people to meet you. We, I don't want to just hang out with you. I want other people to hang out with you so that you can change their life like you've changed mine. And Jesus accepts the invitation to come to Matthew's home. Matthew, with this scandalous reputation in the community, Jesus is not ashamed to be seen walking into Matthew's home. He's willing to walk in, to sit down at a table, actually to recline at a table. In that day, the tables were very low to the ground, and you would recline on your side with cushions under you, and you would typically... Uh, prop on one elbow and eat with the other free hand. Your feet would be sticking out from behind you. And so there Jesus is reclining at this table. And Matthew has spared no expense. This is a lavish banquet. He is showing off for his friends because he wants his friends to meet Jesus. So Jesus is reclining at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus. 
and his disciples. There they are, this big party. Everybody just hanging out together, literally, you know, hanging out together, having a good time, eating, drinking, laughing, talking, getting to know each other. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that party? Wouldn't you have loved to have heard the conversations? Matthew's introducing Jesus. Hey, guys, everybody, I, I want you to know, I want you to meet Jesus. He's unlike anybody I've ever met. He, he's a different kind of religious leader. I, I know maybe you've had some bad experiences at the church, but I can tell you this guy's different. And, and I'm, I'm one of his followers now. I can't believe he asked me, but I'm humbled that he wants me to be his follower. And uh, Matthew's telling his story. He's just telling the same story that he would later record in this book we call the Gospel of Matthew. And, and he's introducing people to Jesus and Jesus to people. Jesus, I want you to meet this guy. He, he's my fellow tax collector. I work at this section. He works down the road. I want you to meet this lady. She's also a tax collector. She works over there in the office in Capernaum. He's introducing them to all his tax collector friends. But Matthew says, not only were there tax collectors, there were sinners. Bum, ba -dum -bum. You know, this, this is the music change in the movie. And you go, oh, no, sinners. Who are these people? Well, you need to remember how they got this classification of sinners. It was given to them by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. The Pharisees were a political and religious group of people, men who dedicated their lives to living strictly by the Ten Commandments and the 613 oral commandments that had been given over the centuries to regulate every aspect of a Jew's life. Here's how you wash your hands. Here's how you prepare for a meal. Here's how far you can walk on the Sabbath day without it turning from a walk to a work I mean, it was amazingly minute and detailed. And the Pharisees tried to live by all of those do's and don'ts. And if you didn't do it just like they said you should, they classified you sinner. 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 Because you're not like us. So if you couldn't meet their standard which, by the way, hypocritically, even they didn't meet their own standards, even they didn't perfectly live up to the law, but as far as they were concerned, if you weren't like them, you were a sinner. So you know who these people are? These are the tax collectors and the everyday people who were just trying to do the best they could every day. They didn't have time for all the minutiae and all the traditions and all the preferences and all the regulations and all the do's and the don'ts. These are people who know they're not perfect. They know they've messed up in their life, but they can't do all those religious things like the Pharisees do. So they're there, and Jesus is there, hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples... Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were scandalized that Jesus is hanging out with these kind of people. And they murmur behind Jesus' back. What kind of teacher is that? He calls himself a rabbi, a representative of God, and yet he's hanging out with this scum. He's hanging out with the lowest of the low. 
He's eating with them. He's having table fellowship with them. And in their mind, it was guilt by association. They surmised if Jesus hangs out with those kind of people, it must be because Jesus is like those people. He's hanging out with dirty, defiled sinners. He must be dirty, defiled, and sinful himself. After all, birds of a feather flock together. That's why he's hanging out with them. He's hanging out with them because he approves of their sinful lifestyles. He acquiesced to their sinful lifestyles. He participates in their sinful lifestyles. That's the kind of teacher you follow. He is nothing but a fraud. He is a sinner. Guilt by association. But is that always true? That birds of a feather flock together? No. It's not always true. You cannot always judge the character of a person by the company they keep. You've got to look a little deeper and find the motive of why they keep the company they keep. Do you think teachers hang out with students because they love ignorance? Or do teachers hang out with students because they're trying to disabuse them of their ignorance and teach them something? You've got to know a little bit about the motive of the person. And Jesus understands that even though they're talking behind his back, he knows what they're thinking. In fact, verse 12, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. I know you're saying the only reason I'm hanging out with these kind of people is because I'm like them, that I'm sinful, that I'm defiled, that I'm dirty, that I'm not right with God. But you don't understand. And he makes this statement that is so obvious. Don't you know that those who are healthy have no need of a doctor? But those who are sick need a doctor. And the religious Pharisees probably said, well, duh. What does that have to do with anything? Everybody knows that. Healthy people don't need doctors. Just sick people need to go see a doctor. What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with this party? Jesus says in verse 13, go and learn what this means. I love this. <laughs> He's sending them to school. You who claim to be the teachers of Israel, you need to be the learners. I'm sending you back to the first grade because you don't get God and you don't get me. So, so go and learn what this means. Quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire, God says, loving kindness. I desire sacrificial love, not just sacrifice in empty religious rituals. Here's your homework. Go and figure out what that riddle means. You know what Jesus is saying to them? Jesus is saying, if you know the motive of God, if you know the heart of God, you will know why I'm hanging out with these people. Just like a teacher doesn't hang out with pupils because she loves or he loves ignorance, but because 
he or she is wanting to teach them and help them. And just like a doctor doesn't go to healthy people who have no need of him, but goes to a sick person in mercy to help them, so God desires mercy, not your empty rituals. You Pharisees sing the right songs. You pray the right prayers. You quote the right verses. You go to church at the right time. And yet your heart is empty of mercy. And you're not as much like God as you think you are. Because if you're like God, you would be showing mercy to these people who desperately need it. You would be taking the loving kindness that God has shown you and you would be showing it to someone else. And the reason I hang out with these people is because I've come not to approve of their sin, but to alleviate their sin. I've come to help them. Jesus says, I'm keeping bad company for a good reason. Just like a doctor comes for the sick, Jesus came for sinners. He says, I did not, verse 13, for I did not call the righteous, but sinners. I didn't come from the Father into this world just for people who think they're righteous. Just for people who think they don't need me. I came for people who know they need me. Who know they're sinners. Who know they're messed up. Who know they're not healthy. And maybe this morning that's you. Maybe you're saying... I know I'm not spiritually healthy. I know things aren't right with me and God. Jesus came for you. Maybe you're saying, my marriage isn't healthy. Jesus came for you. Maybe you're saying, man, the habits of my life and the pattern of my life is not healthy. Jesus came for you. I don't care who you are, what you've done. Jesus said, I came for you because you need me. And I like you. And I'm here to help you, not to hurt you. I've come to show you God's loving kindness, God's steadfast love, God's covenant-keeping mercy. I've come to show you God's love. That's why I came. Dear friend, just like a doctor comes for the sick, Jesus came for sinners. Maybe this morning you need Him as your Lord and your Savior. Why would you not respond to His invitation now? He comes to you. He brought you here for a reason this morning to hear Jesus say, follow me. You say, but, but my past, follow me. But, but, but I'm not sure if I can live up to your standards. Follow me. But, but I, don't, I don't know enough about the Bible. Follow me. That's where it all begins. Committing your life to Jesus. Because he loves you. He came for you. And, and listen, I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. And if you want to receive Jesus and say yes to his invitation that he extends to you, you can talk to God right where you are silently. You can pray and he will hear you. And by faith, you can come to Jesus because he came to you and he says, follow me. But before I do that, I want to say something to the rest of us who are already followers of Jesus. I brought something that I'm becoming real familiar with in my life lately. When I go to my doctor, it's these. Have you ever noticed stethoscopes are always cold? Come on, heat these things up, please, before you put that to my bare chest. But a stethoscope is a, an acoustical medical device that listens to the sounds of your 
body, your, the internal sounds of your body. Most typically here lately, whenever I go to see my cardiologist, she's listening you know, at my heartbeat. She's listening to the rhythm of my heart. She's checking out my heart. I'm actually wearing a device right now. I'll take it off Friday and mail it back in, but uh, it monitors every beat of my heart. I send that back in. There's nothing wrong, by the way. They just didn't, I guess, have enough money, so they wanted to charge me for one more thing. <laughs> Those BMW payments come around quite often, and uh, so, so I'm glad I can help her with that. But uh, I'll... <laughs> They said, we're just going to put this on. We don't think there's anything wrong with your heart. Every, all your tests look great. All of your, your, uh, your, your uh, echocardiograms look great. But we're going to make you wear a two-week heart monitor. And then the end of February, we're going to make you do an echocardiogram stress test. And then we'll just have a baseline for, for future. So that sounds great. So that's what we're doing. But they said, really, don't leave this place worried. Leave okay because your heart is okay. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? Your heart's okay. You know what Jesus is doing when he stops and he puts these Pharisees in their place? He's saying to them, your heart's not right. If your heart was right, you'd be helping me reach these people who desperately need to know that God loves them. If your heart was right, you would know that the same loving kindness I'm showing them, you are in desperate need of. Because you too are a sinner. Fort Caroline Baptist Church, it is so easy for us as Christians to get caught up in our routines, in our rituals, in our songs, in our prayers, in our Bible studies, in our preferences, in our traditions, that our heart is no longer right. Because it's all about us. And we can get so calloused and so insulated in our holy huddles that we forget there's a group of people all around us who desperately need to know not only does Jesus like them, he loves them. And he he's died on a cross to prove his love for them. And he rose from the dead to forgive them of their sin. And he has commissioned us, his people, his followers, to go and to tell the world, Jesus loves you. And if my heart is right, if your heart is right with Jesus, then we will be like Jesus. And if we are like Jesus, we will like the people Jesus liked. And that's what I believe God is wanting to do in my life and in yours. Renew our heart to be like Jesus so that we can like the people he likes. The problem in most of our churches today that I'm familiar with is we no longer like our community. We no longer love the lost. We no longer care about the people who are far from God. What breaks our heart is when we don't get our way. What breaks Jesus' heart are people who are far from him questioning, could God like me? And he sent us to say, oh, he not only likes you, he loves you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, I pray for each one of us who are followers of Jesus that you would renew our passion to become more like Jesus. And when we become like Jesus, we will like the people he liked. And we will love people and we will be with people, even if they're different, even if their lifestyle is different, even if their politics is different, even if their culture, their ethnicity, their language is different, we will love them with your love. Because the same love that is changing us, you want to bless them with, to change them.
God, I think about how many more teenagers like Russell Paget wonder, does anybody love me? Does anybody care? And the change, the transformation, the hope, the power that comes when they realize, yes, God loves me. Because he sent his son Jesus to prove it. Father, thank you for the privilege of introducing people to Jesus. Make us more like Jesus so we like the people he liked. And God, I pray this morning that there's somebody in this room who's wondering that today they will no longer question if you love them, but they would accept your invitation. Follow me. Maybe that's you today, friend, with your head bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you'll say to God, dear God, thank you for loving me. In spite of my sin, my flaws, my mistakes, my past, my regrets. And thank you for sending Jesus, your son, who lived a perfect life. And he offered his perfect life on the cross in exchange for my sinful life. And he died my death and he took my punishment and he rose from the dead on the third day and he promises that whoever calls upon him will not perish in their sin but will be saved from their sin and have eternal life. So today I hear Jesus extending to me the invitation, come, follow me. And today I say yes to Jesus. I turn from my sin and I trust Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Friend, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you've prayed that prayer with me, I rejoice with you. And I want to know that you've prayed that prayer. In fact, maybe you'll let me know by going to our website and just putting on that Let's Connect card, Today I Trusted Jesus. Maybe you'll come meet me here at the front and just say, Ricky, today I committed my life to Jesus. But most certainly, tell the people that you're here with today as you make your way home today, Today I've given my life to Jesus. And then I invite you to come back and let us help you learn what it means to be his child, his follower. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in our lives today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.